Welcome to the Investing Experts Podcast by Seeking Alpha. I'm Nathaniel Baker, your host. I'm here with Chaim Siegel of Elazar Advisors, who runs the Fed Trader Service here on Seeking Alpha. And very pleased to have you here because it is an eventful time, especially with the Fed. We had the Fed meeting last week. We, were, we are recording this on Tuesday, November 7th. And last week marked a pretty big sea change, it would appear, with Fed policy, with Fed Chair Jay Powell coming out and saying that risks were balanced. And that was enough to send the markets on its way. We've had a rally in stocks and bonds since then. And what everybody now wants to know, including myself, and I'm sure our listeners, is the market correct in this assessment of the Fed? Where do we go from here with Fed policy? Your views on that. I think some listeners probably know me and you know maybe some subscribers are tuning in but they know that i was bearish in 2022 and at the end of 2022 we got bullish on markets and we've been bullish for most of 2023 i'm bullish for 2024 i do think that there's, there's some chance for a dip in early 2024 um based on a couple of components that need watching and i keep my process pretty simple and transparent for everybody. And I think anybody could just <laughs> do it themselves. But it's, you know, I've been in the business for a million years. So it's helpful <laughs> to, to hear it from me anyway. Uh, so I think, yeah, the Fed's probably done. Um, and it depends on inflation more than anything. Um, and if inflation doesn't tick up, then uh yeah, they're they're not going to raise anymore. If it starts ticking up, then you know it could be. But you, if you look at the trend of the data, obviously the trend is disinflationary. I mean, some of the uh, predictive data that I look at for um, the next data points is pointing to an uptick in the November prints of of CPI PCE, um, but. It might be a head fake just because it might have been that people are worried uh, calculating their expectations of inflation. They might have been worried that this war is going to get out of control in the Middle East. And so they were probably thinking oil prices are going up, but oil prices have reversed and gone down. We've been calling that. Uh, we started calling that oil prices would or had risks since uh, October 22nd. And I called it out yesterday, and it's down again today. We follow, by the way, oil. It's not our main thing, but oil, Bitcoin markets, and a couple of the big stocks like Tesla, Apple, because we're just trying to look at the market and figure out the direction of the market in different ways and how the Fed affects all of these main instruments. And I do think Bitcoin is a major Fed instrument. Everybody thinks it has some, does something. I don't think Bitcoin really does much, except it's just becoming a major Fed trader instrument. And so if you look at Bitcoin, I mean, this is what I was planning to say, but Bitcoin might be a, um, the, the hint of what macro traders are thinking about the Fed. If the Fed's hiking, Bitcoin's going to go down. And if the Fed's cutting, Bitcoin's going to go up. And I'm I've been bullish on Bitcoin. Um, I think we near bottom ticked it. I was bearish last year on it. Um, and it's just based on the Fed moves because um, it's just, a, I call it, it's a macro trading instrument on steroids. 
And so <laughs> um, the, the Fed's next move is not a hike. And the Fed's next move, whenever that comes, is probably a cut. Just depends on if they're going to be late or not. And then sometime after that, there's going to be a stoppage of quantitative tightening. And after some time after that, it's going to be quantitative easing. So here I gave you a beautiful stair step uh, story for Bitcoin, just having only reasons to go up because, you know, maybe there's going to be an ETF or not. But I don't think that's the main story, even though it, it gets it, it gets it excited because it, it would mean that there'd be a lot of buying coming into the to the coin. It's it's traded a little like gold, um, but you know, with more juice. You know, I think that's kind of telling you where the Fed's going. But um, and I think as long as inflation is coming down and oil dropping like a rock, I mean, even oil feeds into the core measures of inflation, even though they try to exclude it. But Look, if oil energy uh, inputs into any business are going up or down, that affects all the pricing for everything else. So, you know, it's a good sign that oil's going down. It's a good sign for the world that maybe macro geopolitical traders are less worried about, you know, this um, match igniting in the Middle East or, you know, or in the Ukraine. It's, and hopefully it's not spreading. And I think oil dropping is a hint to that, maybe, hopefully. Um, as, as at least from the perspective of oil traders. So, yeah, you have this disinflationary process, and it just depends on when the Fed decides to cut. I don't think, they, even though they threaten that they're going to hike in these dot plots, I've been saying that they're not going to hike, and they haven't. And so it's just a matter of when they cut, and Fed usually does things late, and then too late, and then they're deer in headlights and just do it way too hard. So, I mean, that's just the consistent <laughs> process of how the Fed works. You know, they're not data dependent. They're not <laughs> working on any models. It's just, and they say, we're watching a lot of things. They're not. They're just watching CPI, just like the rest of us. It's a very simple organization <laughs> over there. And then one guy makes the, <laughs> the decisions and the, everybody else nods their head. It's a very, very simple <laughs> organization running loads of money affecting all the markets. Yeah, that's a that's a bunch of stuff there. But I want to go back to Bitcoin real quick, because what you said up there about Bitcoin basically being an inverse Fed, inverse rates tool, the yes. same, and you touched on it, the same can be said of gold, but yeah. you feel that Bitcoin now does this better than gold. It's much more volatile than gold is. I mean, it's just something I've noticed. Do I have, you know, some genius uh, uh, formula on it? Not really. It's just something that I've noticed that it trades purely based on what the Fed's going to do. Gold uh, does that to some degree, but gold is more of a safe haven asset. And um, one interesting thing is that when gold rose recently uh, with uh, the Middle East uh, war that just uh, started, um, hopefully it's ending, that uh, Bitcoin, even though I think it's more uh, pro-cyclical, went up anyway with gold and gold is uh, counter cyclical. It's supposed to be a safe haven. So here you have a little bit of Bitcoin being the best of both worlds. If it's a safe haven and gold needs to go up because the world's the traders are worried about the world geopolitics, then uh, Bitcoin's proven lately it can go up. But uh, but when the market starts moving and starts breaking out to new highs, 
we know that Bitcoin is a juiced instrument that people like to own when they have money, you know, and they can trade it on margin and everything. So it's now a little bit best of both worlds, multiple ways to win. Um, and with the Fed near, you know, everybody can visualize that the Fed's probably not hiking and probably cutting at some point later early is another question. And so Bitcoin loves that progression. That's really interesting because I actually picked up on on this as well. And not just the Fed, but if you go back to March and April and the bank failures, Bitcoin was kind of the lead out for the, for the stock market recovery. If you look at the chart and the same thing happened these last yeah. couple of weeks, Bitcoin started rallying yeah. at the start, of, well, bef before stocks did in anticipation uh, when with Powell. So really interesting stuff. But moving on to oil here, wouldn't a more dovish Fed be positive for oil prices? Yes, yes. But, um, you know, that all depends on when they're going to cut because uh, oil is uh, very dependent on demands, on real-time demands. And so if they're going to stay higher for longer or they're actually higher for longer doesn't mean they're going to raise. It just means that they're going to stay still and do nothing. And so if they're going to stay higher for longer and you have quantitative tightening in motion, then it's already worked to slow the economy and um, oil would be uh, impacted by that. So, um, but I do think that oil, I mean, I'm totally guessing and I'm not a geopolitical geopolitical expert. I am based in Israel. I do think that oil is coming down because of less concern that the war is going to spread. And also some concern that the Fed is keeping rates too high in combination of quantitative tightening, that there's a risk to the economy. And I think that's also in play and, and also can play into a market risk. So I'm not there. I've been saying to customers and subscribers that um, I expect a year-end rally. But after that, uh, everybody's we're going to have to look at some key data to see if we could get a dip in the market next year. Yeah, it sounds like maybe we aren't quite out of the woods then. We're not out of the woods yet. Now, where does that leave the Fed? Now, you touched on it. Futures prices, last I looked, Fed fund futures are pointing to a June cut. Where do you see this? Last I checked, which was last week. But but where where do you, when do you see the Fed cutting? I'll tell you. I'll just go back in history a little bit. Um, when inflation started jumping, and before that, I even predicted that inflation would start jumping before it started moving. And I also predicted that the Fed would do nothing and let it run. And then they'd be deer in headlights and chase it in a hard way. And they did that. And anybody in my service, and maybe I have a few public articles about it out there along the way, the Fed has a, a resume and a history of doing things later than they should, looking for excuses not to move, even though the data is telling them to move. So, I mean, you know, they could also they could already consider a, a cut now, but they're not going to do it because they worry too much about the market and the signals for it. But if they don't cut, I mean, uh, GDP I think was you know four percent or so last quarter, and now estimates are for one to two percent for this quarter. So already is seeing in the estimates that they're slowing GDP now though just came out today saying instead of one percent they think it's two percent um, uh, for GDP for Q4, which is not that bad. But um, I do see that you know you can see the trajectory is slowing from the year. 
So if that trajectory continues, and the key measure I'm going to be watching is jobless claims. People don't put a lot of emphasis on jobless claims, but I do. And I think it's like the most real-time thing you could get on the overall economy for all the stocks, which you know really leads to how the companies are doing because if if they every the companies are competitive if they want to you know they see opportunity they're going to want to hire more people and if they're worried they're and they don't want to lose um uh earnings from having too many workers then they cut so that jobless claims number every week is like a real time view of where the economy's heading versus where the what the fed's doing so if the jobless claims are moving up and the Fed's not doing anything, like they're just, at least they're not hiking, but they're not cutting, then there's risk building for the market because it means that things are slowing. The Fed's not doing anything about it. They're leaving rates too high, which creates more perceived risk into the future. But if you see jobless claims holding, which is one way that we got really bullish in the end of 2022 is we saw everybody's worried about a recession, but jobless claims are holding or coming down, meaning less jobless claims, meaning more people working. And so when you have more people working, it's like, I don't see a recession. <laughs> GDP is plus and, and you don't have a recession with plus GDP numbers and, and jobless claims moving down. You just don't have recessions like that. But when you see, um, uh, low GDP numbers and jobless claims moving up, then you can say, uh oh, you know, maybe we're going to have, we can have a recession. And so you just have, need to put your analyst cap on and say, jobless claims, if they're moving up and GDP is low, uh, 1%, and the Fed's not changing, then the rates are too high, slowing the economy, and just have to see the trajectory of that slowdown. You say, uh oh, you know, we're going to go into a slowdown. So um, you know, these are all very simple data points that, you know, you can be disciplined to watch to help you decide, you know, which way the market's going. And I've been, you know, doing this for a long time. Mm, a million years. Yeah. A mil um, three million. <laughs> 30 oh, sorry. Million. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. So it sounds like Jay Powell said risks are balanced about doing being too tight or too dovish. You say it sounds like you're saying that there are more risks are more to the Fed not doing enough to to loosen monetary policy, if I understood you right. Jay Powell, I've mentioned to you, is a wordsmith, and calling quantitative tightening is something that they're running in the background is like such a crazy, crazy thing to say. People say, oh, yeah, of course, running in the background. But these are billions and billions and billions and billions of dollars of the largest money organization in the world cornering the bond market for years that they say they're backing away from cornering the bond market. That's not called, called doing something in the background. That's a major, major, major hit to bonds. And so when people see TLTs, which we follow, and bonds, you know, breaking down break, uh, to new lows, then, you know, and people say, why? Well, well, maybe quantitative tightening has something to do with it because, you know, the, the the group, the organization that cornered the market has backed away. So until the, and so that's a major tightening process on the economy because the long, the, the long end, short end helps business day to day. And it also helps traders with margin. So that's one thing. But the long end helps people buy big ticket items and houses. And, um, and if people can buy houses, and housing prices are going up, 
that's the biggest asset for most consumers and consumers is the biggest part of the economy. So that's a big secular cycle mover for the whole market because so if interest rates stay high in the long end, which is forced by quantitative tightening, then consumers won't feel so strong because their houses are not going up and they'll spend less. And uh, so that can cycle into a slowdown. So this thing that they call running in the background is something so major, and I think even bigger than short-term interest rates. That And they said that they're only going to stop quantitative tightening sometime after they start rate cuts. So you have this delay lag in effect, a real big effect on something so important that the Fed and all these central banks around the world have decided, hey, let's play with long-term rates now because we weren't getting the job done with short-term rates. And I don't think they I don't think they've done enough laboratory work to understand the major impact they had on the economy. I think they see it and they've even said that they were one of the main causes of this inflationary cycle because all of the pressure down on long-term rates that they did during the pandemic. Um, I mean, the Fed is known, anybody following the Fed, the Fed causes most of the booms and busts themselves. So, and now with this amazingly much stronger tool in quantitative tightening by controlling the yield curve, it's crazy that the Fed is, you know, has, has a bigger tool in their toolbox than they even know how to play with. The Fed is the single largest purchaser of treasuries, by the way, to your point, larger than any foreign government or any anybody else. <laughs> now, the government is the out. biggest purchaser of their own bonds. Yeah, basically. No, not but even it's basically. a separate it organization. Is, uh, it's not it's not it's the, not a government organization. Yes, it's run by the banks, as, as we know, but financed by the banks, at least. OK, but but now so it sounds like you're saying there's a there's a little bit of uh, risk here for bonds. If the Fed is late in loosening monetary policy and then even later in adjusting QT, then yeah. bonds don't have anywhere to go but down, right? Right. So look, there's I see three major drivers to bonds. So let's just talk about them individually. You have short-term rates, which drive long-term rates. You have the economy itself, which drives long-term rates. And you have this quantitative tightening, which drives long-term rates. So let's take them each individually because it's very important to understand. And I've had a lot of conversation with my subscribers about it because it can be confusing. And, um, you know, there's a lot of uh, associations that people make with short and long-term bonds that I think need a little bit deeper dig, but it's not so complicated. So if short-term rates go down, and everything else was equal, the economy is equal, everything's equal, long-term rates should go up. Why? Because when you know that the, the economy is going to get juiced by making it easier to do business now, you can envision that in the future, the economy should be stronger. And if the economy is going to be stronger, then rates need to go up to compete with that stronger economy to, to try to get um, uh, investors to also invest in bonds. So bonds would go down to try to offer a higher yield as the economy's growth rate goes up. So that's um, by itself in, in one laboratory beaker. And this next beaker that we would uh, look at is the economy. So if the economy is slowing, which often can happen when they lower short-term rates, so people associate, oh, long-term rates go down because the short-term rates go down. 
No, it doesn't work that way. It long-term rates go down if the economy is slowing because the potential of the future growth needs less competition from the bond market, and they don't need to offer higher rates to to in, in, incentivize those uh, investors to also invest in bonds because the economy is slowing in the future, so the growth rates in the future are slowing, so the yields slow. So that's uh, beaker number two that can also drive it. And yes, they're all interplay, but we have to think about them in separate buckets. And the third one is this quantitative tightening, which is directly impacting long-term rates. So let's say the Fed, first speaker, shuts, uh, lowers the short-term rate, whenever they do. I think they have a, ha a history of being late, but whenever they do, that let's say they start lower. So if they low, lower too late, the economy already starts slowing, the market starts worrying. So that's one out of three chance right there that the, that the market could start taking a hit. The other, the other chance is that when they do start cutting, right, even if the economy is slowing, they still have the quantitative tightening working and it's very strong. So the short-term rates could be going down. And if the short-term rates are going down because of inflation, but not because of the economy and the economy is strong, that means the economy will be perceived to be stronger even more in the future. And so the competition to get to attract investing dollars into bonds, bonds will need to go down because they'll need to offer higher yields. And if you have this quantitative tightening, sweet and soft going on in the background, and don't pay attention to it, it's just nothing, that's another driver for bonds to keep going down while they cut short-term rates. And so here you have this uh, yield curve. I just gave you a picture from three different sides that the, the short end could go down and the long end could go up. And it, I, I showed uh, subscribers a chart yesterday, a beautiful chart, that whenever you have um, negative interest rates, uh, sorry, ne a negative yield curve, meaning that the two-year is rate yield is higher than the 10-year yield, and then it comes out from zero, meaning that yield curve is moving up, meaning there, um, the 10-year yields offering a higher yield and the two-year yields coming down like a normal yield curve moves back to being normal. When that happens and goes back to from negative to zero, you always have a market decline after that period. So you could say whatever happens to the economy, who cares what happens to the economy? <laughs> the, the money that changes hands gets more attractive to go to bonds because you have this uh, uh, seesaw of bond yields from the short end to the long end, and money gets sucked into the bond market because uh, you know finally they can get higher yields and out of the stock market. And so the stock market goes down. So depending on if the Fed's late, the market has risk. And if the Fed's uh, cuts anyway, but because of inflation, not because of jobs, then the economy is not slowing the long end. Yes. And inflation is going to slow the short, the lower the short end rates. And so you have this seesaw where you could get a big spike in that yield curve. And if you get a big spike in the yield curve, you have a lot of risk in the market. And then you'll get deflation. And then the, the Fed will, will drop rates really hard. They'll stop quantitative tightening. They'll start quantitative easing again. Oh, no. And they won't blame themselves. Of course but it's not. Their, their hands on everything. And then the market will go crazy to the upside, but only after a couple of these things take place. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's the scenario now. But historically, bonds and, and stocks kind of move opposite. This last year and really the last couple of years, we've seen them move in tandem. 
And yeah. this last move is just is like that. It's just more of that. Uh, you know, this way, this time to the upside. And the yield curve is still inverted. Uh, so how soon do we get out of this, do you think? Well, this year, I think bonds have gone down and the market's gone up. Am I wrong? Okay, I guess that? the market has gone up for the whole year. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. And, I guess and, it's just the last three um, or four months, really. It's that. Right. They, they've gone down together. And I think that's something. So if you look at the yield curve, the yield curve is moving up, mm -hmm. it's becoming less negative. And I think when they cut, especially if the GDP is holding at 2% or so, and not going into negative negative territory, then you're going to get this spike in the yield curve, and that's going to be a big risk for the market. Mm. Yeah, and also I've seen this. I'm sure you have too. These you know, this data that when the Fed moves uh, to tighten as aggressively as they have the last year and a half, whenever it was, I guess March of 22 is when they started. Yeah, uh, it almost it always leads to a recession. Uh, do you think that we we can escape that this time, or is that going to happen too? I'm not sure if we look. I'm just looking at the data, so I just saw the latest GDP data. G, I like watching GDP now because it's semi real time. It is pretty real time. I yeah. like watching jobless claims. Jobless claims started ticking up, so that starts to concern me. GDP now ticked down until this latest read. I'm just watching the data. So the um, for whatever reason. The economy has had a lot more power than anybody has thought, even with this hike um, period. So, and I think that it's held up more because people are just getting back to normal after a once in a lifetime, you know, pandemic where people got out. So you don't care about where interest rates are, if they're moving up or they're a little tighter than you normally buy things because you're just getting out again. And so that's a major, major force that's held up the economy this year. Um, does that uh, force have legs? I don't know. So that's why real time, I'm just going to be watching jobless claims data and GDP now to tell me if the economy is holding. And if it's holding, then I don't think there's going to be a crash. Um, but if it if it continues the recent trajectory that only recently that uh, the economy is showing slowdown in those two key number data, then uh, I do think that there can be a recession, and I think it will asso be associated with um, with uh, a market hit. And and even if the Fed cuts, like I said, that it might spike the yield curve and even hit the market more, even if they cut. Wow. Okay. Do you think there's any chance at all that we get, you know, if the economy keeps humming along, prices show themselves to be stubbornly high, inflation doesn't move back down to 2%, it supposedly needs to get there, it's still in the 3% range, that the yeah. Fed does another hike? I think they're going to do nothing, but they might not lower for a while. Look, they, they, they know they have a huge, huge force in quantitative tightening. People aren't focused on that, but we are. I'm, I'm focused on it. I think quantitative tightening has been one of the biggest juices of the market since 2008. Um, it's, you know, basically they're manipulating if the market's going to go up or down just by watching the trend in their balance sheet, which is quantitative tightening or quantitative easing. 
And so they don't need to, they don't need to change rates or any, anything to have a, they are tightening with no change in rates. I forgot your question a little bit, but. I was just asking if, yeah, if they, if they could hike interest rates and based on what you're saying, you don't think. No, yeah. I don't think they need to hike anymore. I mean, they've done enough as long as if inflation holds high, maybe you get a cut somewhere, a hike somewhere along the line, but I don't, I, I don't think they're. I think they're going to let <laughs> quantitative tightening work in the background, so to speak. But really, it's uh, it's a very major background. <laughs> There's no bigger background in the world. All right, I'm Siegel. Thank you so much for joining the Investing Experts podcast today. In closing, maybe uh, you could tell our listeners how they can find out more about you and about the service and to sign up for it. I will tell you that I've been in the business for 30 years. And in my 30 years, I always wished I worked at, you know, major funds. I worked for Steve Cohen and a few other big hedge funds in my career. I had many big um, hedge fund clients along the way. And in all my career, I wish I had a product like I'm offering right now. And I'm very serious. Um, I think I've um, boiled down the market to a few key data sets technically and fundamentally, that are telling you every day where the market's going tomorrow or the next week or month. And with some pretty good accuracy, I think I'm the top uh, Tesla analyst in on the street. Um, I've been right on the way up and on the way down. And um, I think there's so much utility here in this. Plus, you know, people just back and forth with me uh, during the trading day because I just I, I find I just have so much experience from being in the markets for a while, some gray in my beard. And um, it's worth it to come to LSR Advisors. I guess you just put it in this Seeking Alpha search tab or um, and uh, and Fed Trader. We call it Fed Trader because the Fed is just, you know, the big dog wagging its own tail, <laughs> whatever the expression is. But I do think I said that correct related to them. You know, I just found that focusing on what they're going to do, if they're going to be early or late, is the big driver on whatever the markets are going to do. So we're raising prices next this coming Sunday. So uh, on the annual, so if you sign up now with a free trial, you lock in the lower rate. Very cool. All right. Well, nothing on this podcast should be taken as investment advice of any sort. At times, myself or the guests may own positions in the securities mentioned. You can follow FedTrader and investing experts on Seeking Alpha, where you will also find full transcripts for all episodes. To take full advantage of Seeking Alpha, become a premium subscriber. Learn more at seekingalpha.com slash subscriptions. With that, we will sign off. Thank you all for listening. Look forward to speaking to you again next time.